0: Welcome to Laugh Your Cry Out, the podcast that features unfiltered conversations about our collective mental health, and where we make it easy to talk about the hard stuff. Nothing is off limits. After listening, you'll walk away smiling about the plight of being human, and maybe even learn a bit about yourself. I'm your host, Joey Dumont. Let's dive into today's episode. There's your legal warning <laughs> that you are now on camera and audio, and thank what? you so
1: much. You didn't tell me this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, as, as a second or your first or second year law student, I gotta make sure I. I, I, know, uh, probably... I have
1: two more classes left for my MPA, and then I'm done. Congrats! Yeah, so I'm uh, as a part-time student, I'm in my third year. So yeah,
0: almost done. And is that an actual law degree? Then you come out of? No, it's a
1: it's a master of public administration out of law school. So you know. Right. I had a chance to take law classes um, and really get like a lot of emphasis in law for understanding my public administration degree. Um, but no, I don't get a I don't get a JD.
0: My friend Jamie just got that degree at Tulane.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it's great. I'm like I started as an MPP, so Master of Public Policy, and then uh, I what I ended up figuring out was I took all the MPP courses that I wanted, and then I switched over to MPA. And it's it's a little less classes. It's cheaper, and uh, and it's actually better for me because I want to be able to run public agencies eventually or nonprofits, so um, cool. or both. So yeah, so it was just a perfect degree for me.
0: That's great. Well, let me do this. I thank you for coming on the show, dude. I uh, I think the cool thing about this is that we kind of got to know each other a little better on Facebook. Actually, get to know each other on Facebook. <laughs> friend, and was it Tim Tim Kennedy that introduced us, or was it Britt? I- or Brett, or any of our friends with one. It was one. probably Tim. It, yeah, Tim. I think so Britt. too. Yeah, I think so too. And Brett and I, uh, Brett and I went to high school together, and so I got to meet you, Brett, uh, Sierra, a couple of just fantastic people, and all of us had a little bit. You know, we we lean one way or the other a little more than the other. So I thought Wait. that was really cool. So let me start with your resume, which is actually better than mine. So congrats.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so i oh, will stop it.
0: You currently work with formerly homeless adults in permanent supportive housing in Sacramento County. You have a master's of public administration. You're a graduate student at the University of Pacific McGeorge School of Law, and your graduation is May of 2022. You received a BA in sociology and philosophy from Humboldt State. I've been there many times, but I wasn't. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sacramento Executive Councilperson for American Society for Public Administrators. And your political organizer and advocate, you are the chair of Sacramento's Progressive Democrats of America, the chair of Sacramento's Social Democrats of the United States of America, vice chair of political affairs for Young Democrats of America, and the Hispanic Latin X caucus and California delegate for Young Democrats of America. So another thing that I thought was really relevant for you and, and why I want to invite you on the show is I think I explained to you briefly that I started this podcast originally to start talking about just complex topics. And I got into like men's masculinity and some depressionary things and and stuff that I thought were cool. And then (laughs) I was like, well, I need to talk about these really topical, controversial things that are happening in our culture and not for any other reason other than I'm interested in them. And as a stay-at-home dad for the last four years, I've had more time to read than I've ever had in my life. And so I probably read about two books a week. And because of that, I thought maybe I should just shift the podcast to these really rich topics. Yeah. And so like I think we I talked to you briefly, I had a really neat conversation with a DEI consultant and author, black author, and his name is Dax Devlin Ross. And I I interviewed him about critical race theory. And it was a two hour you know, a little bit over that actually, two and a half hours. And it was fascinating for me to read his book, which was called uh, Letters to My White Male Friends. And I I think I shared that with you and Brett and a couple other folks. Fantastic book. And this is kind of a follow-on to that. And then I actually, I'm talking tomorrow with a former professor from Notre Dame who I was fortunate enough to know. He was a philosophy professor. His name is Tom Morris, if you've ever heard of him now wow. we are talking about ideologies and kind of where they came from and the history and, and because you have a philosophy background uh you may be interested in that chat too when i'm done with it but your era that was a piece too that i thought sparked me is that your generation the i gen the gen z's whatever you guys are called
1: millennials
0: millennials are you still a millennial? Is that yeah yeah i'm like
1: okay. i'm at the tail end <laughs> of it I, I i was born in 92
0: okay so That topic was and has been bantied about because of Jonathan Haidt's book, The Coddling of the American Mind. And he talks a lot about students, you know, born in 1995 who went through university from 2013 on. And there's good and bad with what took place within that. And what I thought was really unique is that you guys had this confluence of like Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street, uh, Thomas Piketty's book, uh, Capital, talking about inequality, the Tea Party on the right kind of coming in and saying, you know, we need to take back our country. You know, it was like all this stuff was kind of yeah. starting
1: to happen. Gender gender, and bathrooms, saddle nine. Oh, yeah.
0: Yep. Yeah. All that. And so you guys grew up, and, and again, this is just my own purview, as a, I think one of the most integrated groups of young young men and women where everything was just kind of coming together. And and I mean integrated in the sense of information being readily available, right? You guys could access oh, yeah. anything you want at any time, supercomputers in your pockets, and you've had them since you were kids. And so you see the world differently. And that was where the Safe Space Discussions, I interviewed professors, one from San Francisco, University of San Francisco School of Management. So graduate program, he teaches advertising, he was a mentor of mine in the ad biz and so that's why I knew him. And then another friend of mine who also moved into the ad biz after his um, time in academia at Berkeley. And so I, I got kind of that sense of where it was. And so what I wanted to talk with you about, and per our emails, there's a lot of things I, and and this is, I'd like to get your take on this because maybe we can frame our discussion this way, is that as a liberal, I, you and I agree on almost everything. Yeah. I think you you t- you'll tilt a little bit more left than I do on certain areas, and I got a. It was actually your Facebook post on the way to a, a Sacramento event where you had smashed the patriarchies on your jacket, and cap. You didn't say capitalism was evil, but like there's something to, it needs to. We need to replace it or fix it or you know whatever it may be, yeah. and I was like, okay, I got to talk to that dude because <laughs> these this is this is kind of where we'll have some spirited debate, and I'm of the belief, and this is kind of where. I'm seeing this in the culture is that there's liberals like myself and then there's progressives, if you will, or left of liberal. And then there's conservatives, friends of mine who I, who may or may not have voted for Mr. Trump, but most likely did vote for W. And they, they, that's typical old world conservative. And then there's Trumpers, which is a very different, Right. Very different, different. Landscape. So we almost have four parties now, <laughs> right? With and we have like two in each. And so that's, I think, for you and me, it can be neat to kind of frame it that way. And if you disagree, let me know. Yeah. With that framing, because then we can start there. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. I mean, so I'm I'm a staunch progressive. Um yeah. I uh yeah, I mean, I, I'm on the left. Um, that doesn't mean I agree with everything on the left. Uh there's there's like a common um, notion that liberals are so good at arguing with one another yeah. uh, because we're so liberal with our ideas, and so you know I'm I'm one of those people who yeah like I I'm very progressive with uh, policy I'm very progressive with um, what I want our institutions to be, but yeah I mean I. I I, I'm very progressive against conservatism. I'm very progressive yeah. against Trump. Or Trumpism. Yeah. Um, I do not like right wing politics at all, uh, and I'm and I may not like uh, left wing politics in terms of the establishment, in terms of the Democratic Party, largely in terms of yeah. uh, them not acting as progressively as I was, as I would want it. But yeah, so I'm a progressive. I'm within the Democratic Party. I'm very critical of the Democratic Party, but I know that it's the best party out of the two parties that we have um and yeah that's just yeah i i'm a strong supporter of of progressive policies of i've actually you know i'm a strong i'm i'm a strong supporter of erring erring on the side of um really bold and fundamental policies so like one of them is like abolishing the police um right it's um it's not that i it's not that I want to. It's not that I'm radical or anything. It's more so that, like, we in, in this country were so far to the right uh, compared to the rest of the world. Um, at least um, we are to the Scandinavian countries and European countries, and in our in Canada, um, and and really developing very 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 developed countries in the West, um, we we're, we're incredibly far to the right. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I'm always going to err on the side of being a leftist and, and a progressive because, um, you know, which was so far to the right. But really, I'm a social Democrat at the end of the day. Um, right. I believe capitalism has um, pros. I believe socialism has pros. But I also believe they both have cons. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's <laughs> we'll just, that's agree just a little bit of that.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a great way to start. So. I didn't mention that, but I also just had an interview around defund the police. Okay. So let's start there. I And I'll just admit my bias. So I studied martial arts for many years, and a lot of the guys that I did the, the work with and fought against and, and became friends with were SFPD. Yeah, I also had a buddy who was the lieutenant in Santa Rosa for 27 years and came up from beat cop all the way through leadership. And he was in charge of 180 uniformed officers and had a storied career as a detective. And I mean, just an awesome dude, right? So that's him. And I interviewed him. And it was the same thing is that... And then I shared this too. So anyone who watched that, I apologize for the redundancy. But for me as an ad guy, which I talk about every show, is that defund the police was problematic in its language linguistically and that that was the thing for me to start off with in yeah. that sense but you actually used the word abolish so you're not actually mincing words now and so let's i and in my my purview as of today and it can be shifted possibly is that <laughs> i i don't cuz Santa Rosa Police Department being a beacon as an example, and and we admitted this in the in the discussion back and forth. Is this not a typical department? It's a very well run department. It's funded. It's not a optimal department because it needs more funding, specifically for mental health and those kind of things. Yeah. But they've done a very good job. And he he used numbers in there, and it's from memory, so I may screw these up. But two hundred fifty seven, two hundred fifty five thousand calls into dispatch in twenty nineteen. One hundred thirty seven thousand of those had men and women shepherded out onto the field. Yeah. 247 of those involved use of force. Yeah. And none of those had any loss. I mean, they, I'm sure they had some lawsuits and issues, but none of those were against the, the u- uniformed officers. And so it was, as again, that being stated was a very powerful example of good policing. Let's just say that. So when you say abolish, do you mean... Just I don't even put words yeah. in there. What do you mean by abolish?
1: Okay, so when I say abolish police, that doesn't mean that there aren't good police officers or good police departments. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there are violent people in communities and we need support with that. But what it is saying is our system, the way we've had it for so long, it cannot be reformed because it's rooted in racism and classism. And so... What I what I'm advancing is to end the entire system, and to reimagine what policing is from a community lens. So, what does the community want? What do they? What are? How can we frame an institution based on what the community wants rather than people, policymakers, public administrators, now become mm-hmm. forcing down what they think is right for the community. Um, <laughs> So, so I think a lot of the issues with abolishing the police is just people don't really understand. Yeah, we can talk about semantics, about how it's the languages and all that stuff. But most people don't even understand what we're talking about when we're saying defund the police or when we're saying abolish the police. Um, and I think when people actually truly understand what abolish the police is, it's just we're not abandoning common sense. We just, this system is not working. Our Black peers, our Hispanic, Latinx peers um, our poor peers are being killed and brutalized every single day by police officers. That doesn't mean police officers are inherently bad. It just means that the institution is uh, is, is inherently bad because of how it started. Um, so I just want to reimagine that. I want to have community communities lead that front and to reimagine what works for them in their communities. Because all of our communities are different something will work in one community and something will work in another. And so, um, and while that's hard to imagine because there's no structure with that, it's more so like, what will the communities do? You know, that's our responsibility as citizens in in a society to figure it out ourselves um, and not rely on racist classist systems. Because when we do that, we know the consequences
0: of it. Cool. So let me ask you this. There's 18,000 police departments in the country. Approximately 1 million uniformed officers. So when you say abolish, I get that it and it's like reform and reinvigorate and rethink and yeah. <laughs> reprioritize, all these different res. What does it look like when, let's just say you are now in your position, right? Yeah. As a leader, you're out of school and you're in charge of a community. What would you do to the police department? And let's just use a single example because it, it's obviously too difficult to say how would you reimagine a million police officers yeah. but what would you do within i don't even know where you live sacramento you know or a little town elk grove or some little town there that is is you know has a 30 person force or what does that look like how do you then with the abolishment word how does that how does that play out what is the actual you know tactics and and strategies there
1: well you know as someone that's not so familiar with the abolitionist mentality on police, I can't really give you specifics. But what I do think is, you know, it that doesn't, we don't have to, we don't have to, like, I'll, I'll give one example just to make this very relevant and something that I'm familiar with. So when we're abandoning fossil fuels, mm-hmm. we completely destroyed the Midwest. Uh, we took all those jobs away. We were trying to introduce renewables. What we should have done, is we should have grabbed all those people that were working in fossil fuels and we should have trained them into renewable energies. And then voila, the job just shifts from one to another. And I imagine the same thing with police. Is,
0: Educa- education.
1: Yeah, education is the- and training into a new style of policing based on what the community wants. And so and the, the initial thing is not just ending police right away. You would have to engage with the community, you would have to have town halls, you would have to survey what the community wants. What are the things that they don't like? What are the things they do like? How can we frame the community policing in their lens? And then from there, we adjust away from our system of policing to the new system. And it's just in a very organic process. So, um, and again, I can't give one way of doing that because community is all different. Yep. Um, But yeah, I... It's it's not it's not just saying oh police are over and we have nothing. It's more so transitioning away from it um, based on what the community wants. And so, is that
0: a federal oversight, well, or a state oversight or city oversight or how does that look as far as well? That?
1: I, I think police power is a reserve to states, so it's that's a it's, it's a state and local matter. Um, that doesn't mean the federal government doesn't give funding to to state and local they do. police. Yeah. They, do. they do, yeah. Um, in the In the New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, she highlights that very well. Um, and really how federal funding has actually uh, increased the militarization of police, which isn't good.
0: Well, that's the 1033 um, stuff, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When I talked yeah. about that too. So yeah. and And so that's another example. My buddy said, just Google LA tanks. And what you do when you Google "LA tanks" is that they have these armored vehicles for hostage rescue and negotiation. Yeah. And I and I pointed this out to him. I said, "Yeah, dude, but there was a tank in Keene, New Hampshire, at a pumpkin festival based on the 1033 initiative." And he laughed, and because you know, it was there. And I said, "That's also part of the problem." Yeah. When you see something that egregious.
1: Yeah, and we that, have that, and then we and most of our police departments don't have body cameras.
0: Well. And that was another discussion. So up until 2018, it was not funded. So it wasn't yeah. even the it wasn't even the police. Yeah. And by the way, all my buddies that I've talked to about this in the police department have said the same thing. When they first got the cameras, they were pissed. They're like, "Well, imagine someone telling you that we're going to put a camera on you, Joey, and we're going to watch you work all day." And I was like, "Well, I don't do anything. It's <laughs> absolutely really well, boring."
1: Well, hey, hey! If the public, if the if the taxpayers are funding my salary, then sure.
0: Well, (laughs) I'm
1: bound bound to the people. Very good point.
0: The reason I share that is because two years later, they will not go to work without them. Yes. Right. So they, they don't feel safe. Yes. Yes. So so it has, that has happened in a good way, but that goes back to what I think the bigger issue is that all my buddies said that the current funding is well underfunded, like everything to do with their departments. Yeah, sure. So the 1033 stuff didn't even hit Santa Rosa because in that, there were bayonets and you know all this weird stuff that was just crazy. And yep. that is part of the problem. And we also agree on media being just awful as it relates to narrative and misinformation and bullshit. Yeah. And so what I was trying to get to with the police stuff was that, and I think my friend John, the former lieutenant, he's just retired, he would say the same thing you're saying. Like bring yeah. in the community, bring in the community and have them say, hey, this is what we want to do because... When you have 137,000 calls in one year where you're sending your men and women out to, which by the way, the majority of which are mental health, domestic violence, um, harming, harming of oneself. And a lot of these folks are repeat visitors. So like they yeah, know, exactly. <laughs> they see the address on their screen. They're like, oh, there we go. That's John and Barbara. The right, and as get-
1: a social worker, I experience it every single day. I mean, it's... I it's, it's uh, but,
0: and that's but the I, classism issue.
1: Yeah, I right, want the class But I think I just wanted to add to I think I, I think I I, I I just wanted to emphasize it the policing has to come from the community. So it's, I, I don't want there's still a power dynamic when when police departments invite the community because at the end of the day, the people who are going to be making the decision are the police departments. So they can engage with the communities and they can get their input, which is great because that's what we want. That's that's how we yeah. build community. But but again, reimagining place to me is it has to come from the community. So you flip um,
0: it on its head then. Yeah. And that's it's you invite the police to hear what you're gonna do.
1: Yes. And then okay. and then that doesn't mean that like yeah, and then and then the and then it and the structure comes from within the community. There's a there's a reason why, um, at least in Sacramento, why most of the police in Sacramento, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty sure I haven't looked at the data too in depth. Um, but there's a reason why in a lot of police departments, most of the police officers are not actually from the communities that they're policing and why there's so much tension. Um, because if a police officer is engaging in a community and they brutalize people and then they can drive home in a rural environment or a suburban environment, leaving that environment, they're not connected to the community and they're got, they're not going to have that sense of um, community and so so being part of a community is so important and that so there's no know,
0: laws in sacramento because san francisco you have to live in proper to be an yeah. sf cop santa rosa too so okay. i don't know how they do it and and, and I, I guess that's all, that's another piece to me is that there are really good police departments out there i mean thousands of them yeah and there's some really dog shit horribly racist like la Fundamentally, well there's just too many like it's like la i don't even i haven't done. i was reading
1: a report that like a report came out about la and um them having like mobster gang affiliations within the police department i was just like oh my gosh like
0: (laughs) well see i can't speak to that i i have done some homework on ferguson and some areas that actually had investigations that proved corruption right? At, yep. at the core, like all the way through the leadership. And so that's those, and this is all my buddies feel the same way. They, they detest these men and women as much as we do because they ruin their lives yeah. as peace officers. And well, they,
1: de- they detest them, but they keep them within the institutions, which is like, again, well, that, but that's the what time.
0: I'm saying. That the, the problem in these circumstances has a lot to do with geography <laughs> to begin with. It's not, and so <laughs> yeah. all I'm saying is that this is kind of where what I'm attempting to do with these conversations in general yeah, right? is that we're not that far apart you know what I mean but the media makes us to be just polarized and all cops are shitty or all, all cops are great and you're like well no it's it's its there's a space in between there and that's exactly what my buddies are telling me from leadership so it's like I think we're and I would agree that having more community involved because Minneapolis is saying actually abolish the police. Parts yeah. of Portland and Seattle are saying, get rid of them and we're going to start something. And then yes. Chaz, Chaz, if, if you remember, had this utopian week. <laughs> they came out and they had no police zone and and it was peace and love and Bob Marley and all the cool stuff going on for a week. And I remember my buddies in Portland taking pictures and cam- you know, showing me stuff. Like, look how beautiful this is. And I'm like, that's so cool. Because as a liberal, you're like, look at that. They, they, yeah. they figured it all out. Good for them, you know? But, but, then, but, they, but they didn't, right? Uh, no, because then six days later, there was four murders and rapes yeah. and it was fucked up. And so you're like, okay. And who'd they call in? Well, the, the mayor called in the police. Yeah. And so you're like, okay. And so that's one of those things where police are necessary. And by the way, what my buddies have always said is that they are the cheapest labor possible to deal with all of the problems of a city.
1: Even more than, a, even more than
0: teachers? No, in the sense that anything that's going wrong, you 911, okay. you call okay. the police, right? Yeah. And, and that means that like they're not mentally, they're not mental health experts. They're not social workers. They're not psychiatrists. They're not psychologists. They don't understand necessarily how to deal with this. And de-escalation training touches on that, which he talked about. Yeah. But what my buddy in leadership said is that there's there's tons more money needed for training. There's tons more money needed for individual psychology for each individual officer because they go through a shitload of PTSD type issues, right? They they see the worst of our society on a daily basis and whether or not they're engaged in gun battle, isn't even the point. They see death and people, you know, pooping on themselves and punching each other and hurting each other. And they see the absolute worst of humanity on a daily basis. And that has an effect. And he said, my men and women need more therapy. They need more training. They need more of all of this. And so that is, I think, where if we could get together as a culture, (laughs) we could figure these things out because it's not about defunding or abolishing, really, if we want to get into the semantics. It's actually about, and I don't know what the word is. We would, hopefully we could find a word that we agree on, like, you know, not reimagining, but clean slate. How are everyone, well, right? I, I'm gonna I, I'm gonna
1: push back on that because it's not a semantic issue for me. It's a straight up, please.
0: No, like, we have to find a word. That's what I'm saying.
1: But, but it's I not about like,
0: abolishing. Even what you described isn't about abolishing.
1: But it is because we're getting rid of a system. We're starting. We're not it like, like when we talk about yes, uh, Bernie Sanders came out one of the most progressive senators, if not the the most progressive senator in Congress. Right. Um. He came out and said, "We need to fund the police actually more." Yeah, and I understood why he said that. But what I'm saying is, we need to end police, and we need to fund other things. So, for example, but and, you're, you're, but
0: you're not saying you end we're not we're not eliminating police officers. That's what I'm saying. What you're what you're, you're saying is that we're, we're ending in way, the institution
1: in a way. We in a way. So, so you know how you were talking about um, mental health calls and like yeah. how police weren't trained for that. Yeah, get rid of that for police. Well, that's like, what my buddies like want fun, too. Like fund mental health. Fun, <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Fund mental health workers. And if, if mental health workers can't uh, de escalate a situation, uh, then they can then call, call, the, call police the police in like a violent situation. Right. But it's like, it, it's not even, it, it's it's like, it's, it's, it's adding a lot more funding for mental health issues, for yes. homelessness, for um, like even eviction like processes rather than police just coming there and when the sheriff, them to leave. right? Yep. where it's where it's more so like like family like uh like the court comes and they have a representative and so like I, like i i want to I, so when i say to fund the police i'm actually saying take money away from the police and 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 spend money in in other uh segments of society other sectors of society um, nonprofits and um, and social workers and and courts and and so take away so because I, I do think like yeah like police officers do get PTSD like you were absolutely right when you said they they see the worst as a social worker I've, I, I' I see the worst too it's like awful um yeah. but 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 they're doing too much and so when we add more funding we're not actually addressing the problem of them doing too much we're we're just we're giving them more resources to do too much, um, <laughs> and they just like they're doing too much. And so, you know, like like I think they should be there for the worst case scenarios. So so mass shootings, um, um, well domestic very, violence,
0: robbery yes. burglaries, car theft, those kind of things. And that's what they want to do as well. Right. That's what I'm saying. It, it, and I'm not I'm not poo pooing your theory. Yeah. On some, I'm just saying the semantics for me as a word guy, right? Someone who got paid, I got paid for 20 years to move words around on pages, right? Because words actually matter. And so that's what I'm saying is that it doesn't matter, or it does matter what we call it. Right? It's 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 the same kind of thing where when you when you use words that don't necessarily apply, it it it's a fundamental problem because then when you say defund to somebody. They say so eliminate because that's what it means.
1: Yeah. Well, and, and as opposed honestly, to recalibrating, honestly, it might be it might be eliminating because at the end of the day, what if the community says we don't even want police to have firearms, uh, and we actually don't even want police to deal with the most violent? We feel that social workers are the best at dealing with that situation. Then that is eliminating right. police, and that's that actually-
0: but that is but that's a different situation then because that's not what I heard you say originally. Was you're saying that we want police to be there in exigent circumstance? When stuff goes sideways, I would want that. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I live in San well, Francisco, and, and, and as I and I think, I think that's you know, honestly, I that that's that was probably a slip up on my end because, um, because, because yeah, I don't think a lot of communities, particularly those that are for abolishing the police, the the, the most prominent activists, yeah. uh, and. and yeah, I I don't think they speak the same language as I would in that instance. So you would
0: think that they actually want no police.
1: And, and yeah, I'm actually open. I and and I'm actually open minded to that because, uh, as a social worker, so I'll I'll give you one story, as a social worker. So uh, before I became a case manager at my program, I was a crisis interventionist worker. So I would deal with crises at my site. Um, one night, at a, a resident comes Zach. There's two clients fighting. One with a hammer, one with a knife. Um, we had a security guard there. The security guard uh, dealt with the situation. I uh, we both actually dealt with the situation by using our voices. Security guard did have did have to use force at one point, but they didn't have a firearm, and they just they they could only use their bodies at that point. And then I was using my voice to deescalate. So we deescalated the entire incident. Both of the both of the residents were in their home. Uh, and we de escalated it by by separating them physically and by using our voices. At in the meantime, police were called. Dude, bro, like this is this is what we're talking about. I had two officers running like it was a war zone. One with the shotgun, one with the semi automatic, pointing the guns, like running in to sh- straight up shoot people. And I, as a social worker, who's yes, I learn on the job, but I don't have like professional training and de-escalation in the sense that I go to these trainings and I have a certificate. I don't have that. I had to de-escalate these officers myself. And so when I finally de-escalated them, we ended up figuring out that we needed a... I had to call property management because I was trying to get a key to then open up the door because the officers had to go in and arrest the person who had a knife and who had started the fight. Um, And so... But but I had to de-escalate that. Um, we ended up figuring out the way they did have to kick the door down because we couldn't find the key. Um, and, but still when they ran in there, it was like... Were you guys high-
0: inside the house when they came in?
1: Uh, no, we were, we were outside, uh, outside okay. in the courtyard. So, so I, would, I couldn't get the key. They had to kick down the door because one of the, the person that they were trying to get, uh, to essentially arrest was inside their own home. And so they kicked down the door. And it was like it was like a straight up like you know when you see those movie squats and they run in and they're like they're shouting and they're like pointing yeah, their guns at people right. and they're
0: saying get down get on the floor get on the floor
1: that's what they did so while I de- did did de escalate them as a social worker you don't do that like this person is it has mental health issues this person was on drugs uh, and this person wasn't really violent they was just reacting to a very um, to to uh, to an issue that that escalated really quickly, but we had de-escalated. They went inside their home and they were calm, but these officers just ran in and and escalated this whole situation like it was a freaking hostage takeover, um, a hostage rescue. And so, so that's what I'm talking about. Like,
0: so let me back I, up for a sec. Cause yeah. So you 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 guys de-escalated. Was this in the front yard or something with these two.
1: Yeah, so they were fighting in the front yard in front of both okay. of her they were neighbors. Yeah. They were fighting in front of her um in front of her houses. Uh and uh and then I came out, I de escalated with my boys, security guards were yeah. one of them, and then they both got put inside um their homes. And
0: then who and called then, the police? Neighbors? Uh yeah, one of her residents. Okay. And so after you guys de escalated, they went back to their <laughs> their home. Each yeah, one of them was out.
1: One, but the the one that the officers were trying to arrest was uh, inside her home. We locked we,
0: in her in his house. Was it a he or yeah, she? Yeah,
1: because another. Re- I asked another resident to take that person in their home.
0: Got it. And so at this point, and this is what my buddy would tell me is that that's yeah. where the body cameras come in. So police officers, when they get out of their car, activate their body camera. Yeah. They activate the body camera. They come. Did they come and talk to you?
1: First? No, they, they 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 came and ran straight past you with guys with their guns. <laughs>
0: Okay. And I had run, and I
1: had a, they were running right. straight at the scene and I had to I had to say calm the hell down.
0: Got it. And so was that on camera or did they not have their cameras on? I don't think they had their body cameras. I didn't okay. see. Okay. So there's an example of that's that officer according to my buddy Lieutenant But, but actually that, Joey, those guys Joey, would be in trouble. I don't know if
1: I, I don't know if they I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they I'm had their saying, body cameras or not. Let's just
0: say they did. Yeah. Then what they did was against the de-escalation training they go through as yeah. police officers. And what they did was wrong. And what they did was possibly illegal, not even, not even protected under qualified immunity. So all of those things that you described are wrong. <laughs> period. There's no gray area there. And that's yeah. why I would ask, and he would say the same thing, as in my buddy's tears, like those dickheads are ruining it for everyone because those guys are not, they should not be cops with that kind of mentality and that kind of behavior, period.
1: Well, and Joey, uh, when, when they came and de-escalated them, then because I was de- able to de-escalate them and time was passing, then there was probably about six officers at that point. Uh, I'm, I'm sure there was a, there was, um, a leader of the group um, and they still continued that aggressive
0: escalating yeah. mentality. No, I mean, so, that's that sucks to hear because it's just it's wrong and it's stupid. Well, and, it's, and I feel like it's, really it's, a, not helpful. it's an outcome. I agree with that 100%, so. but let's just... and, and and we can get off this topic because <laughs> I, I agree with you, and so yeah. what I'm saying, and the reason I shared those numbers with you on Santa Rosa is because they're fresh in my brain, but two hundred and forty seven of those out of the hundred and thirty seven thousand actual dispatched units, yeah had use of force, and so what my buddies always say is that if the police aren't perfect, we're bad and that's that is a that is a narrative i I would agree that and I yeah. would just say this, depending on how small the community is. Maybe there should be this level of approach. And I don't know, again, Elk by one of my college buddies lives there now. It's a little, it seems like a little quiet town. Maybe you could start a prototype, <laughs> if you will, yeah. and say, hey, we're not going to have any like police officers. Program. Yeah, we're not going to have any police officers at all. And so we're going to have social workers and psychologists and, and, you know, I don't even know what you'd call people, but de-escalation force for all yeah. of these pieces for mental health, for domestic abuse, domestic violence, and then what happens when there's actual robberies, burglaries, shootings? Do you call departments outside of that, Geo? I mean, you no, know, those are all questions that we can solve. But I think that may be for me. I would I would love to see something in in practice yeah. that we could point to and say, "All right, you know what?" Because the utopian vision, we can get into that too with capitalism, is that when you start to look at Word, we can. We need to replace it. I'm like, all right, well, cool. I don't. I don't think you can replace. I don't think you can remove police officers. That's just. And I, again, I'm. <laughs> I'm always open minded, but I just haven't seen yeah. it. And all the research I've done, I, I can't imagine it. San Francisco, as an example, our DA decided that you could walk into Walgreens and steal shit, and it's not a crime. And so people started doing it, and now all Walgreens are shut off here in yeah. the city because. People walked in and just started stealing stuff and just walked out (laughs) and just flipped the bird to the cashier. And then the security guard who's making 10 bucks an hour is not going to put his life in danger to take care of people that are walking out with, you know, $40 worth of product. It was like, no, I'm not doing that, man. So I, I'm, I'm not of the belief that our society is polite enough that it could deal with this utopian vision. I hear what you're saying. And I know you you come from a great place and an educated place. That's why I brought you on. But yeah, yeah I think it, I, I'm definitely, and what my friends have also said is that there is a wonderful opportunity to mesh with the communities, to talk what that looks like. They don't want money for tanks, just so you know. They, <laughs> they, they want money for mental health and social. They do. And they've said this for years. And the fact that my buddy, because he was in leadership, was liaison with all of the mental health Pieces in Sonoma County, he knew firsthand how underfunded these budgets were. He even said that they had eight, eight, mental health beds out of five hundred thousand people in the county. So he said, when you go out to these mental health problems, whether the domestic violence or mental health or trying to harm themselves, whatever they're trying to do, eight they have eight beds. And he said, so one night you could exhaust the opportunity of Sonoma County in one shift with maybe thirty of your force out there. So there's yeah. a huge problem with our culture and and I don't think the police get enough credit. That's just my my two cents. So let's go to this. One thing I think we can agree on, I also the CRT piece. How critical probably a funny word there. How critical <laughs> is critical race theory in the sense that I'm a big believer that we have systemic racism in our culture. And when I read the literature and the stories all the way back. We we used to exchange these on Facebook too. Some great books when James Baldwin and Ta-Nehisi Coates and all the people that have done a really good job of capturing their specific plight in story form. Obviously, you know, Medgar Evers and, and MLK and Malcolm X and all the, the, like the leaders of this telling their stories and being very prolific in their writing and sharing of story because narratives create an understanding in our culture, right? Yep. And for me, I have I, I I have so many friends conservative too. And I'm not talking like Trumpers, but conservative people that just don't believe that white privilege exists <laughs> and that systemic. That there is no systemic racism, and the arguments are right off of Fox News. We have a president, a former president that was black. We have executives that are black. We have, you know, a secretary of defense today that is black. We have, so it's it, we're good, we're good. You know, you're like, no, no, we're not good. And, and not on any front. And, and what I didn't realize until I started diving into the literature is that critical race theory isn't just about the legal discussions that formed by, you know, Kimberly Crenshaw and, and Derek Bell in the 70s as legal scholars to discuss. Yeah. It's also about Latinx. It's also about Asian. It's also, it's just any type of minority that is oppressed is part of that program, right? So, just for any listener who isn't, you know, what we're talking about critical race theory and where the debate is in the news critical race theory is a legal scholarship that founded in the 70s by Kimberly and Derek Bell. And she actually founded the term, I think, Kimberly Crenshaw. And, and so it was a bunch of legal scholars, people of your ilk pontificating about like, hey, this is wrong. And this is this is we need to fix this and we need to identify these things and we need to find remedies for these things. And we need to do this. And that started in the 70s. And it pretty much remained at that level, right? High-end academia, scholarships, I mean scholars and people of letters talking about this as a a necessary reimagining of how we view the population how we deal with the problems based on all of these pieces. What you see in the narrative today, specifically from the right, is that we're teaching this to K through 12, which is not the case uh, at all. But what I did find out is that there's mechanisms of critical race theory that are now in the the criteria and the syllabi of teachers. So I get so it is being taught. It's just not critical race theory is so academic that it can't be taught to my son, who's you know my, I have two kids, they're eight and nine. So they're not teaching my little boys critical race theory because if it doesn't have something with Legos or Iron Man, they're probably not interested. And so there's those two pieces just to like set the table. Yeah. How do you, as a progressive, see? And maybe let's just focus on one aspect that I have. Because as a corporate coach, I'm dealing. I have executives that I uh, coach. Yeah, a lot of them are dealing with intersectionality, so we could just focus on that piece maybe uh, as a starter. The problem that they and I have seen with that kind of goes back to another woman who's in the Zeitgeist is Robin DiAngelo's book, which we've all talked about and read. Oh yeah, White Fragility. And admitting, not even admitting, but opening up a lot of these intersectionality training courses by telling folks in the room that the, we are all racists, and I will admit that I, you know, I have implicit bias on race. I just have. Uh, I grew up with my parents. My dad was a bigot. My grandparents were bigots, and uh, specific to well, I think my dad was pretty. Pretty much a xenophobe, but he didn't, he thought he was better than black people for sure. Yep. <laughs> and my mom was Mexican, so I, I don't think he, whether he thought he was better than Mexicans or not, I don't know, but she was adopted, so she wasn't raised in the culture. But I digress. So when you look at teaching this to corporate executives, and maybe we, that's, that's the only experience I have right now, is that they're on their heels. They're like, wow, you walk into a room full of really powerful men and women and tell them they're racist. That's pretty much the end of the story, right? It, it doesn't go over well. And in certain educational institutions in big corporate America, I think there's 26 out of the Fortune 100 for sure that are teaching intersectionality training. And I got that data from Christopher Rufo. And we are teaching this in our culture. So the approach to me seems wrong. <laughs> and it kind of goes back to the defund the police discussion. I think if we had a... a polite debate around things i think we could solve the problems much easier what do you think of intersectionality training because i think we can agree that the the purpose of it is the right thing but how it's being discussed and how it's being taught seems to me problematic what are your thoughts on that
1: Okay, so I want to say one thing. You know how you said pilot program for uh, uh, rethinking about police. There is yeah. one. There is there. I know of one program in Oregon. I was trying to look it up, but I'll find it and I'll send that to you. Thank you. Um, as to see it because it is a very successful program, um, and it's, <laughs> it could be something that we can model off of. Um, but as to in terms of CRT and in terms of intersectionality, I just wanted to add one thing. So I think there's three ways I define CRT. The first way is a very technical, academic way, which is legal scholars talking about how legal institutions reinforce racism and how it's normal. Um, the second aspect of CRT would be MOK, really all the narratives by scholars, by activists that have that have uh, essentially taught us. Um, essentially, narratives against white supremacy. So Chicano studies, uh, African American yep. studies, all these things, Native American studies, Indigenous people studies. So, so that's the second one. And then the third one is culture: how we, how people define it, how people say, "Oh my God, you're learning about M.O.K. That's critical race theory." So, <laughs> <Right. that's,
0: there's, laughs> yeah, that, you're learning that's basic great. history. Yeah,
1: exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. And that's why when you look at the Texas statute that came out banning CRT. Yes. Uh, they removed uh, Native American studies. They removed OK, uh, yes. They removed... Um, Chinese
0: and the Japanese internment camps, all that. Yeah.
1: Whenever the founding fathers uh, 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 had essays about slavery and how it was wrong, uh, we can't even learn about the KKK, about how bad they were. Right. So so that's... Is this the just
0: isolated end. to Texas, by the way? Or is this... Uh, so it well, sounds and, very Texan. <laughs> it's very
1: well. We, we do know. We do know that it's. It, it, it was a Texas, a Texas statue uh, that was just enacted. I haven't looked at, but that was the most. That was probably the most popular one uh, that I know of. Um, I did hear you say Chris Ruffo. Um, yes. So that guy sucks, uh, <laughs> and the reason why I say he sucks is because uh, he is the leading advocate against COT. Oh no! That's
0: why I've done. That's why I've done my homework on him because I'm trying to get yeah. the other side, and that's a piece I think we were talking about earlier. Is I, for me to understand, or for me to do anything of value, yeah, I need to understand the other person's purview, and that actually that is huge. And Christopher Rufo is a very, is a very educated person on this area. He's a journalist. He's a thinker. I don't necessarily agree with him, but. The guy's done unbelievable homework. I mean, it's not like he's when actually I think done he's records requests.
1: I think he's being incredibly disingenuous, and I think he has a political agenda for CRT, and I think that's why he's he's rather than actually talking about the first two definitions of CRT, right. which is academic and actually, you're right,
0: you're right. He's, talking he's about creating the this
1: whole narrative that it's in our schools that it's and and, and a lot of people would argue that it, that when you follow the money, it's actually a way to promote homeschooling. But, but that's a that's a whole that's a whole other yeah,
0: thing. No, that's cool. I I and I I, <laughs> I would just say that the reason that I bring Christopher Rufo into the discussion is is that I it's the same reason I would bring Ben Shapiro into the discussion. Oh, It has, yeah. <laughs> not, it has nothing to do with the fact that I look up to them or I you know. Of course, of course. I, it's just that I I because they're thinkers, and that are those are the thinkers that are being uh, yeah. paid attention to by the right. And so for me, I need to understand. If my friend says, "Have you seen Christopher Roof?" I'm like, "No." So then I looked him up, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay." And so, yeah, and yeah. to be
1: objective, and and to yeah, of course, of course. My my buddy, he actually had a debate against uh, um, Charlie Kirk. Uh, And they talked about COT. So I'll I'll share that. um. I
0: thought we were good. Yeah, we saw that online because Charlie Kirk, I can't get my arms around. I try to see, oh, he maybe has this point. I'm like, no, he doesn't. But but he
1: actually conceded conceded that the technical, uh, the academic, the first definition of COT was actually right, which was
0: crazy. Wow. Good for your buddy.
1: Yeah. And so they were mostly debating the third one uh where Which was uh, the narrative. sees it yes Correct. the narrative cultural yeah. narrative so so I so I'll share that link as well. That's In cool for of, Charlie. I,
0: and I that's right? that's why you can't poo poo everyone.
1: But as to intersectionality, yeah it's tough. I think I think the 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 really the best way to, to have intersectionality is to actually be an integrated society. Um, because when we see it we are it um, so so that's the best case scenario. The next best case scenario is learning uh, intersectionality in public education. So learning history, as, you, as we pointed out, which yeah. includes uh, African-American history, which includes Chicano history, which includes indigenous history, mm-hmm. um, Chi- uh, Asian Amer- API history. Um, so yeah, so, so that that's our second best approach. And what's happening right now is um, largely white conservative men um, and really, white conservative uh, people, Americans, are pushing back against learning about intersectionality, learning about non-white people, and um, yeah, at, in their schools. So that's why we had that Texas statute, getting rid of pretty much every angle of intersectionality that they were being taught. Did they get rid of uh, any history on white people? The only history <laughs> that they got got the bad rid of- history. Yeah. Oh well, no! The only history that they got rid of for white people was when they talked about intersectionality. <laughs> right. So it's right. like, yeah. So so in terms of intersectionality, I think it's just one of those things where we have to live it, and we and we have to be taught it. Um. And we're taught it right now because we don't live it. And obviously, a very conservatism response to that is fundamentalism.
0: My concern. And this is where I think my, my progressive friends push too far because the word white supremacy, which is in all of the literature, is an immediate on-your-heels reaction from people. And so I shared with my buddy in a two-hour CRT debate, the author and black DEI consultant, I said, bud, like, if, I, if someone came to me and told me I was racist, I would immediately recoil. It's almost like someone calling me a pedophile. It's a really toxic label. And so I would push against that, even if I was. And then I explained to him an example of implicit implicit bias where a buddy of mine and I were hanging out in New York City at a conference. And he's a black guy. Yeah. And we saw a guy get out of a Range Rover in the lobby. And he was dressed to the nines, tall and handsome. And my buddy goes, is that a baller or a tech CEO? And I was like, Oh, fuck. Sorry. I would think he was a baller, right? I mean, that was just my first reaction. And he goes, okay, well, thanks for being honest, buddy. And to me, that was an example for me. And this was my buddy being nice, <laughs> but trying to point out the obvious. Like, we have implicit bias. And this was my example. I, I have three or four people already comment on this, like, you're a racist. I'm not. I'm like, okay, that's, <laughs> that's fair. But that was just how I was. And I made a joke. My wife is Chinese and my kids are half Chinese. And so I made a joke once to, I don't know, it was my wife's friend who's Chinese. We were at 7-Eleven and there's a Chinese guy behind the counter and I saw his poor mom. You know, and and that was a racist comment because growing up in this Chinese family over the last 13 years, I've watched Chinese mothers and my children go to a Chinese Mandarin immersion school. And I see... (laughs) <laughs> the doting of the mothers. And I see how education is number one and where you go to school, where you get a job and how it's more important than why I grew up. <laughs> right. My mom's Latina. It's, they don't have the same, you know, focus on education. So I I have these biases. I just do. And so that to me is when I come up with that on my own, it's easier for me to swallow. Let me just say that. And, yeah. and when someone comes in to teach a class, and I might even start doing this you know, at some point with my consulting because it's, it's about the approach. It's, if you go in and tell people, specifically white men, <laughs> I'll just say that, being... I'm not even white officially, but I am under the moniker of I get all the privilege of my appearance and all of that. But if someone came in as a consultant that I hired for my team when I was running an ad agency, I'd be, I would have been, I'd be on my heels. And I'd probably have to apologize to my team and say, you know what, that didn't work. This isn't going to work. And, and if I had to have it, because it was mandated by my, you know, I was a small, we were a small agency, we weren't owned by another company. But if I worked for a holding company, and that holding company said, your agency needs to have this training, and you need to put in these continuing education hours, I would do it, but I'd be pissed. And that would push, it would push me in the wrong direction, dude. So that's my question is like, we have to work on the approach. And this is where my buddy and I, the CRT consultant, agreed 100%. We agree that racism is systemic. We agree that it's a huge problem. We agree that our history is not being taught correctly. But intersectionality is one example, and and the language that Robin DiAngelo uses to me seems really divisive, and and it's and it's going to fuck us up. Yeah, and that's that's just my two. That's my purview, and I can be talked off this ledge. I just, to yeah. me, that's how I see it.
1: You know, as to semantics, as to how we approach it it's just it's hard for me because when we're in a position of privilege whether we're white passing or whether we're white whether whether we identify as being white because it's all up to what we identify as um it's much easier for me as a white man to say oh you can't say white supremacy um because that affects me and i'm and when we talk about fragility that makes that upsets me and that makes me upset and like i like you can't come at me like that. And I and I get people have emotions and I get these things. But at the same time, to me, it's just hard. It's hard to try to figure out a way to be sensitive to white people when white supremacy is not sensitive and actually kills people. Um, and actually, it is... But, true, like, but
0: you think about white supremacy, the, the immediately what conjures up in your brain is KKK and lynchings and bigotry and death. And so when you go and tell an executive that their beliefs are white supremacy on a foundation of white supremacy, that's what they conjure up in their head too. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying that no. that the history itself isn't it's it's painfully clear. <laughs> but I all I'm saying is that the approach is very very to me off putting. Yeah, and that's that's where and it's the same. It's the same belief I have in defund the police. It's yeah. those words don't fucking work. <laughs> so if they don't work, it doesn't matter if if we, and we're accused of being white and fragile because I have no problem with that. I, I know well, okay. that... how
1: about this? Uh, I'm okay. He was the easiest example of, of approaching it the right way and it didn't work. So that is what I'm saying. Regardless of their approach, um, whether you're nonviolent, whether you're using all the right words, it's not working. Um... And so that's why yeah. I want to be firm with calling it what it is. And I feel like when we're sensitive to white people and how they feel, even these CEOs, um, we don't actually address the problem. We, we shy away from it. And we actually devalue the problem because we're not using the language. That, like We need to be honest with ourselves. We need to call it white supremacy because when Black people are being killed left and right, um,
0: yeah no I mean they, they, you're, you're, they,
1: they, they cannot they cannot they cannot address that until we actually call it for what it is. like the the Texas bill that was one of the most racist bills in in Texas history. Like by like by far. and so um, we can say that those legislators had good intentions and we can say that they mm. th- they feel like they feel <laughs> well I' am just I'm just trying to
0: no, I know be, I know you nice. be the like, devil's
1: advocate. Yeah. We, can, we can say all these things that they're human beings and that they're not actually bad people. And I probably believe that, actually. Um, but, but what are the consequences? What are the outcomes of that? Well, students aren't going to learn about the KKK anymore.
0: Well, yes. They literally
1: no, I... aren't going to learn about the KKK anymore. It's literally the legislation said you cannot talk bad about the KKK.
0: No, I get it. I read that, and it's gross. Yeah. But my point, and this this goes back to the education piece. Yeah. So to fight against my own argument that we need to be... <laughs> Right is that because Richard Delgado, we, and that's a book we shared on CRT. He yeah. wrote that his, the impatience with liberalism, the reader will recall that CRT takes liberalism to task for its cautious, incremental qualities. That's me, liberal. I'm yeah. not. I'm not going far enough. Right, and its radical measures are in order. Otherwise, the system merely swallows up the same. Same, yeah, it, it, it swallows up the same premiums one has made and eventually goes back to the way it was. So, yeah. the progress that is being made, if it's not radical, doesn't work. And so, I yes. get that. I get that. And that, and my buddy that uh, Dex Devlin Ross, my CRT buddy on that show, who is immersed in this, said the same thing to me. Cause I said, the far left is hurting the cause with some of these language issues and some of those pushing too far. And he said, Joey, it's just like Malcolm X and MLK. He said, Malcolm X did his thing because it helped MLK do his. So he goes, your, your buddies on the far left are helping you because they're pushing it so far that even when we do settle on an area, it's further to the left than it it was previous. And so I get that. Okay. So I, that was something (laughs) I just learned in the last two weeks because I, I was so mad about the kids at Evergreen college and how they, went crazy on brett weinstein and, and that example just infuriated me because and by the it, way
1: that's not to endorse violence or anything like that I no no I, I don't
0: i don't yeah. think you did the a second i just wanted to explain that because the fact that you the fact that the texas bill as a really stunning example of ignorance you yeah. know that's not what i'm talking about the, the fact that we need to teach history <laughs> to our children like for me personally whether my kids get that in school they will get it from me they will be reading these books on critical race theory they'll be reading um, african history they'll be reading latino history they'll be reading all of these pieces because they have to understand and by the way i'm also going to teach them that this was you know this is a a pilot program that we're still in right democracy is 200 years old here 250 years old but it's like it's young and so Let's also be kind to the Americans. Let's be kind to where we are. Let's let's appreciate the progress we've made. Those kind of things. But they have to know all of it, and that is the fulcrum to every discussion that we've kind of highlighted. Whether it's intersectionality, whether it's defund the police, whether it's capitalism, whether it's patriarchies. All of these big complex topics are so deep that the more I dive in, the more lost I get. Because I'm like, holy shit, that was a good point, (laughs) you know. And but I do agree with everything you're saying on the educational front. I'm just saying. That, well, here's the It's the approach. So one approach is segregating white people from black people in these training sessions. Do you see that as beneficial? Because I don't.
1: Well, I think <laughs> I, I, I think I think I think I think we we have to. I think it's white people's responsibility to educate white people uh, and to challenge white people I and to say, and to say you are a white supremacist. Um, uh, not you, particularly, but, but but not right. you particularly, but in that <laughs> scenario, because, because we've relied on non-white people to constantly educate us and we don't fucking learn. Uh, sorry for the language. Give me that. Don't, don't worry. I
0: swear all the time. Don't worry.
1: Um, and so like even me, like I, ha- I'm very, 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 very ignorant to racism. Um, sorry. I'm as a progressive, as someone who literally wrote my affirm, uh, my thesis on affirmative action faculty uh, in higher education, and then trying to understand uh, the the racial dynamic of that. So, I am incredibly ignorant to racism, and wow. so m- generally my thing is I will defer to scholars who are actually who actually experience racism. So that doesn't mean that there aren't. Um, that doesn't mean that white people can experience it, experience racism within a particular community that isn't white, but that's, but I'm more talking about the structure and the, syst- no, and I'm the with system you there. of racism. And so, 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 so to back to your question, I think, you know, it's weird because I'm not for segregation um, because I've, because it, it, it would contradict it what I well it, it would it would just contradict what I said earlier about the fact that we need to live together to understand one another. Yep. Um, but at the same time, I I just I'll, I'll say that white people need to educate one another, and there there's going to have to be a far far left and very and, and very strong anti-racist white people to educate other white people. And they're gonna have to use strong language like that because, you know, some people would even argue that that pushback about semantics is actually
0: white supremacy trying to preserve itself. Um, it's, I could I could see that argument, but I, <laughs> I, I'm I, I'm just saying that for me it 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 would bristle, it would bristle, I would bristle at that because white supremacy has a connotation. Yeah, it, it, it's Ku Klux Klan, it's dickheads in fucking pointy hats. And on horses and lynchings and all the bad stuff that comes up in my head. When and so I would say that we but, have, but Joey, maybe, bias. maybe,
1: maybe it's, maybe it's, and that, and that's what I want to get away from. Racism is not just overt like that. White supremacy. I get that. Is, I, like, and I, I, like, I
0: understand, but that's where the that's where the training is coming in, right? Yeah. It's it's can can you call? And again, I don't know the words to be, but implicit bias seems to work for me. And microaggressions, I think, are redundancy with implicit bias because they are-
1: Well, I, micro microaggression is racism, It Correct. According to According to Kendi, um, I'm, well, reading, according I'm reading reading my- his book uh, <laughs> called How to Be an Anti Racist, and it's just. It, I if you haven't read that, I highly recommend it. And it's great I recommend it for your audience and, and because, actually, like, the chapters are so easy. They're short. and yes. they're easy to understand, and it's like. I'm like, oh my God, this is like easy to like learn. It's pretty... But my
0: brother said the same thing because in Safe Space, the, uh, the John, Jonathan Heights book and Greg Lukonioff's book, they talk about microaggressions and how it's an issue around triggers and all of these pieces on the campuses. And what yeah. they use is an example where if you're walking down the street as a white female and you clutch your purse because you see two young black men walking towards you, that's a microaggression. And if someone asks you, where are you from? You know, like my wife is Chinese. And so like my yeah. cousins actually asked her, what do you people eat? That's yeah. what they asked her when we went to yeah. Thanksgiving. Yeah. And so as my, and my brother is a liberal academic scholar, family law attorney. So he deals yeah. with the same thing you deal with just, just, you know, people in turmoil and poverty and it's awful. And he said the same thing as Tungit. He said, it's not a microaggression. It's blatant racism, right? So, <laughs> it's and, a and
1: microcosm of the of the big issue.
0: Yes, yes. But you just don't even get it, right? But that is different than going in and telling an executive at intersectionality training that he is a white supremacist. <laughs> that's my point, dude. It's just, but, but it, honestly, I just don't but, think it's going to work. Well,
1: a- absolutely. You're being realistic and I'm being idealistic.
0: I get and, it. And I and there's maybe some middle in there because <laughs> I'm just saying that even if I went and became a DEI consultant, which is something yeah. that I may even do because I really love this topic. And I and to your point and my friend's point, the reason he gave me the book or the reason he sent the book to his friends is that he wanted his white male friends point of view. Like, what are you guys going to do to help this? Because you guys are privileged because you do have a good life because you didn't and have it's to And the same responsibility. I agree. And I can take that without being offended. Yeah, I can also I can also admit that I don't have I have I've the Louis C.K. joke was that if you could before he jerked off on himself and ruined his name, his joke was that he he said if, if,
1: if every year sorry sorry that, I just I had to spend a moment to laugh at that
0: <laughs> so well because one of my favorite jokes about whites about white privilege is that he said if you had to re up at the end of every year
1: yeah
0: and you had all the boxes you know white Latino you know, black, Asian, you just white and then male, male. <laughs> You'd be like, cause in our society, it has benefits. It's not a debate. Specifically, no. I mean, it's not a debate. It's it's a deb- it's it's one that's contentious because people be like, well, I, I didn't and I have buddies that tell me this all the time. They work their asses off. You know, they're artisans, you know, like carpenters, whatever they're doing for a living. So they're busting. By the their way, ass. it's not
1: a debate for the left. It's still a debate for the right.
0: Correct. Correct. But they'll say, I don't have any, I have no privilege as a white man. I'm like, all right, well, cool. <laughs> like, just, you didn't have the same hurdles. There's not a lot of black carpenters in your, you know, are there? I, Cause I don't know. But if, if you got, if he got there, he had to come over different hurdles than you did to get there. That's yeah. the point. And so yeah. I think that the idea is, it's the approach is how it goes. And we can just yep. kind of end that topic there because I think we're, we are in agreement. Patriarchies. <laughs> That's, that to me, as a, patriarch you know as someone who's benefited from the patriarchy yeah uh, how do you define it because uh, again I study a lot of people on the right so that I have an argument so I understand the arguments a lot yep. of the arguments are framed around if females are now part of the patriarchy is it still a patriarch that's a question because <laughs> there's a lot of leadership specifically in academia but is female if you look yep. at human uh, humanities and social sciences that is predominantly female now, um, oh, and another thing here would be cool. Social work is social work. Well, pretty much every, sub, every, every field that deals with compassion and empathy <laughs> is more dominated by females, yeah. right? And if you look at things, computer code, you know, dudes, engineering, dudes, you know, medicine, dudes, still, it's moving in the right direction that way. But there was an article in the Wall Street Journal recently that talked to, and I wrote this down because I didn't want to screw it up. Um, Yeah. Okay. In 2021, college campuses, women made up 59.5% of college students. Men were 40.5. And if the trend continues by the end of the decade, it'll be two thirds of the student body will be female. So is that good news for you on the patriarchy? (laughs) Is because now they're starting to talk about how do we recruit men <laughs> Back to universities, like yeah. so. I mean, like, what does that look like to you? <laughs> I think.
1: Okay, so uh, in me, in my mind, what a patriarchy means is uh, a system that is male-oriented, orient- meaning it benefits
0: Correct. men. Catholic Church, right? Yeah, I Probably mean, the- really.
1: I mean, if you look at all of our, really, every single one of our institutions, it's it's. um it's it's largely led by men, uh, even 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 higher education. So when we look at faculty, For sure. when we look at um, well, even the
0: NAACP, that was in yeah. Derek in, in Derek Bell's literature. yeah. So patriarchy
1: transcends right? race.
0: Black transcends. men. It wasn't black women. It yep. was black men. All exactly.
1: Right. So right. so so yeah. So patriarchy in my mind is it's um, it's just a matter of men benefiting more than everyone else. Um, now. Um, as to women being more representative in higher education, I can see how that's a concern because if if we're actually feminists, we're for equality for all genders, right? So, but what is the reason of going to higher education? Uh, A major reason is for economic reasons. And when we look at economics, men make far more money than women do. And... I think it's. I think I looked. It was like eighty three cents to the dollar for income, and it was thirty three cents to the dollar for wealth. So when we talk about wealth and when we talk about income, men still make far more money than women. Yep. And we may be able to disaggregate that and and explain that. You know, in other parts of the country, more women are stay at home women, and so 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 the husband may make more money, and then that may do it. But even in um, in places like California, there's still that wage disparity and that wealth disparity. So I think I think while it's something to take into account and make sure that we... I mean, if we're going to be feminist, we need to promote equality for everyone. And so we need to make sure that we're putting in the same amount of effort for men and women and for uh, people who don't describe to the uh, gender dichotomy. So Right, I right. think that's always paramount. That's the only way we can fight against uh, patriarchy is to to look from an equity lens, from an equality lens, and from being inclusive and fair with everyone else. But am I, do I think that's a, that that it, that says that we're we're less patriar- uh, less pa- uh, uh, patriarchy? No, because again, when we look at economics, when we look at politics we look at who's represented in Congress in local governments and state governments, and when we look at power, men hold that like no other, particularly old white men. Um, so I don't think
0: there's any argument there. My yeah. question on the on the equality front, specifically to gender and incomes. <clears throat> yeah. There are very, very cogent arguments that involve univariate analysis. Versus multivariate analysis. Yeah. Right. And so for my industry in advertising, we never did anything in a univariate analysis. So when someone says, this woman makes more than this guy, your first question is, all right, cool. Do they have the same job? Yes. So fuck you. It's the same job. She's making less. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Okay. So do they have the same experience? Are they the same age? Do they have the same... um, Are they putting in the same work hours? Are they? There's all these... And there's about 20 of them. And then you start to look at things through the lens of ocean, which you've probably done in psychology, right? That's for us. And I have a very cursory knowledge of psychology, to be clear. Uh, we used it in advertising because we, I, we had to understand behavioral science to sell people the eighth shirt. No one needs the eighth shirt, right? But you got to sell them an eighth shirt because that's your job. So who do you sell it to? You do ethnographic studies, demographic studies, psychographic studies, and then you look at all the personality traits. Say, oh, okay. So what works better in America specific to pay? Well, there's two huge pieces under the five personality traits. It's intelligence and conscientiousness. And we know from science that there's no such thing as a male brain being smarter than a female brain. So they're on par cognitively, right? We know that. So there's one piece. You're like, okay, that's where we started off. We're good. Then you look at agreeableness. (laughs) That's a trait within... Personalities that it doesn't bode well for females, right? Because they don't ask for the same.
1: Joey, can I ask a question? A quick question? Yeah. Who is writing all of that? Is it men or women?
0: It's men. So, and and thank you for pointing that out because my brother, who's more liberal than I am, I think he's probably in your camp. He said the same thing. Yeah. He goes, you read all this white literature for men. Do you realize that? And I'm like, oh, that's a really good point.
1: Well, it's, it, not, it's not just, it's just not who's writing it. It's who's- um, It's who's perfect. Who's doing all this data analysis. Who, right. How we're framing the issue. How we're, because right. even, it, it may actually be good. Uh, so when we talk, when you said experience, well, if women can get pregnant- they can't work because our systems aren't created to to enable women to work while they're pregnant or work no. while they have a child. And our society is fundamentally largely for women have to have to bear their. I mean, there's just a lot of things in which women have to do that men don't have to think about. For sure, and that's also and so, part of the
0: analysis with with pay because the, the yes. analysis numbers are based on hourly, and the hourly itself. If you pull a woman out of full time employment. To yes. part time, she's going to make less forever, it and it's really and hard for her to re-entry. Her of course, it is. So it's and, just and like <laughs> I'm just saying. That, I'm just saying that it's it's a very complicated piece, and I can tell no. you, my wife is an executive in the ad business, and when I help her negotiate her salary every year, yeah, it's, I tell her, I no dude would ever say this. What you just said, and she's like, okay, and she didn't but, want the But, but that's to a perfect example of a patriarchy, right?
1: Because you have it is, to, but I'm have saying, to saying that also my
0: male lens. Yes, yeah, but I'm all I'm saying is that that it's there. That's one of the analyses is that yeah. women don't put men don't put up with the same shit women do in the corporate landscape because it's a patriarchy. I get it. I get. The, yeah, and by I, the person, get that yeah. I get that it's poisoned that way. But all I'm saying is that when you look at the same thing around patriarchy, is that it does exist. I don't have a problem with it. Oh yeah, uh, with with that. That's not an argument that I have. What I'm saying is that what, it's the same question I have with defund the police. What does it look like to deconstruct a patriarchy if females then are part of that patriarchy specific to social sciences, humanities, education? Because that's huge. I don't even know what the numbers are, but they're in the 80th, 90th percentile when it comes to social scientists, right? And you know this from your background. That's a staggering number. And by the way, that's hugely problematic, even at the feminist literature, because now- Peer reviews and citations are clouded by ideology of that group. And if you yeah. go against that group, the females in this case, you're going to be outed. You're not getting your PhD and you're not going to get hired. And so you start to then kind of fudge science or agree with an ideology. So that was my question because one of the, I think, very cogent arguments on the right is that is, is it's still a patriarchy if females are in charge. <laughs>
1: What that? I mean? would push back against that because I still think men are largely in charge. Uh, they, they are. are they? And
0: that I, the reason I'm pushing on it is because if, if you say smash the patriarchies, I've had this argument because my mom wonders why I don't attend Catholic Church anymore. The Catholic Church being an example that I talk about because they failed their number one duty, which is to protect children. And then they protected the men that hurt the children. And they continue to do so. So that, to me, is a failed patriarchy. Penn State was a failed patriarchy, right? They didn't protect fucking children. Same thing, Citadel, U.S. Gymnastics. There's tons of these patriarchies out there that are problematic and, and toxic. But you could also argue that the patriarchy is a structure much like capitalism. And if it becomes corrupted, it's corrupted. So that's that would be the question then, is if it's female dominated, is it a matriarchy? And if so, are, you, are they gonna have the same problems that we have? that we can agree that we have with patriarchies or what does that look like?
1: I think we can argue that like for social work, that it's female dominated. But um, that's good. <laughs> and, well, yes. Uh, yes. And well, no, I, I don't think it is. I think, I think, no, I'm asking, is,
0: the, is that, is that good? Cause like,
1: I, 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 I don't, I, 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 I think, I think everyone agrees there like we all agree on the reason why, um, uh, why most females are in that field. um, because of the patriarchy um but as a man in the field uh uh and actually you know i think it's actually it's good in the sense that i'm i'm actually unlearning a lot of uh uh, toxic masculinity um so i will say that because i have to be sensitive uh to to like not be so dominating and like um And not be, yeah. Just like, just sit back and actually listen. Like I've become much better at listening. Um, I am still a big talker, so I'm <laughs> trying to learn <laughs> some of that. Um, uh, but yeah, so I think it's, I, I think it's good and bad. I will say, it, it defeat it, it defeats the whole purpose of feminism. Now, the the point of feminism again is about equality. So, so, and, and I would never say there's a matriarchy, even if women dominate. Um, some sector of society, because when I say a patriarchy, I'm talking about the entire system.
0: It's the big and, system. Same thing you're talking about with p- yeah. the police.
1: It's the inst- so, so the even so yeah so even when it's one sector, it's it, it's like it's like if I have a black dot on my entire white wall, I'm not going to say um, I'm not going to call it a black wall. Now I'm going to say it's a white wall with one black dot. Uh, same thing with the patriarchy. We have a patriarchy with one sector that is more dominated by females, which could be considered a matriarchy. Um, so, so yeah, so yeah, I, that's kind of how I look at it. I, I think if you look at every single institution in a society, um, it's it's most likely going to be dominated
0: by men. Okay, so let me ask you this: if we had a more egalitarian approach, yeah, to everything, which historically I believed in. As a corporate guy, and again, this is my own selfish (laughs) understanding, is that I have a lot of buddies at Google, and James Damore got a lot of flack for his article, and he got fired, and all of these pieces around that exact discussion, right, where he put out a memo that said, "Hey, men and women are different, and here's why they're different," and he was actually referencing evolutionary biology. It wasn't like he was being a dick. And I thought that I thought his memo on. But then when I you know saw the hoopla and all that, I was like, wow. Okay, so <clears throat> statistically, there's 52% females in the workforce today. And if we have 1,000, let's just use 1,000 because I'm not good at math. If we have 1,000 developers at Google, we now, have, we now have 520 of those need to be female for this to be on par with feminist literature. That's one aspect. The second one that I would ask is that if that's the case, we want to do that to be on balance, to be equal to have equal outcomes, which I don't agree with. Do we do the same thing in social work? Do we fire 50% of these wonderful women that came into the field to help people because we need to replace them with men?
1: Uh, no, no. I think what you do is you make sure that... So when we talk about egalitarian, let's also talk about equity and about Correct. equality of opportunity. Versus so yeah, I not Opportunity I might, outcome.
0: I'm that, not a quality was...
1: of outcome guy. I'm an equality of opportunity guy. Me too. I'm a and liberal, and so so let's let's use that principle. Let's let's make sure that women are actually being being given the same. And honestly, to balance the system, um, it's hard because you want to balance. This, it, it, there's two fronts. You want to balance the system in ter- in terms of making sure it's equal and, yep. and making sure that. But at the same time, what you really want to do is you just want to make sure that opportunity is equally available to everyone. Um, again, not just the dichotomy of genders. So, so what you would do is you would make sure that you would do your best to make sure that equality was equitable and 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 provided to every single per, per person equally. Okay. Um, so they can then choose to do to. to so they can to,
0: self-select. What's yeah. The so
1: they can do STEM. They can do social work. Yes. Yes. They can do whatever they want. Um, because at the end of the day, like, yeah, biology can explain that men have more muscle density than women do, uh, or me- uh, males have more muscle density than females do. But, but like, it doesn't. It, it barely, if, if if at all, biology, evolutionary biology, explains behaviors at all. Because in society, where we're all so different. Um, And so there's so much diversity socially that we all have. And so, again, I I think the most important thing is just to make sure that we provide equal opportunity for every person. Um, Well,
0: that I agree with. My, My question is because I think that's exactly... It's education, it's platforms, it's opportunity to learn. So if you want to be a social worker, let's just stick with there. Yeah. And you get there. And now you've gotten there. And now we have more of an egalitarian approach. That is now being implemented for outcomes. That's my question, and that's the question on the right, by the way. Is like, how do you regulate? Yeah, that's that?
1: problematic because I would assume that um, it, it's it's that would assume that um, that 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 a field is based on. It, it's hard because you want to like I would want to have a neutral approach to the sense that social work doesn't matter by gender. It just matters by the person. Um, yeah, it's just complicated. I would, I would take the same kid. thing, but
0: for I have a bias for females that way and because yeah. I grew up with a single mom and all my mom's friends were really wonderful and nurturing and, and yeah. maternal.
1: I grew up with a single mom too and I'm a and so social worker now. That's
0: my bias. And so my bias on social work, the reason I ask the question, is it good? I don't, is it To me, it seems like it would be to have more women, but it, in the sense of the literature that we're talking about, critical yeah. race theory, feminist literature, all the stuff that I've done some homework on the last couple of years, the outcome is what they're asking for. And that's, again, where I think progressives are pushing it too far. Because if you then start to mandate numbers, and again, we it gets much more complicated if you get Latinx and Asian and all of those pieces in there too, because then how do you balance that equation? But just for our purpose, let's just stick with men yeah. and women. Is that-
1: I, I, I think, uh, if I can add, I think what. The- I think while you are right that they are saying equal, up, uh, equal outcome, I think really what they want is they want a fair fucking chance at it. And so they're not actually, they're not so stubborn and, and, and they're, they're, like, they're not like, it has to be 50 50. And if it's not 50 50, wh- like this is done. They're more so, I want the same fucking opportunity that this
0: person gets. Um, I, I think that's I get really that. the core of it. But that, again, goes back to language, and that's kind of my beef in in every aspect because I'll have so much reverence for words, is that if you look at egalitarian studies, specifically longitudinal studies, like the ones they've had in Scandinavia, they've gotten to that point. And this is 30 years in the making now when you look at if self-selected, men are proving to select 20 to 1 in engineering and 20 to 1 in nursing. Those are numbers that are, are egalitarian as they could possibly be, based on a longitudinal study by liberals. By the way, yeah. this isn't like a right wing, and there were women involved in this study, and they were not happy with the study. This was like fuck, and this goes. This is what we were talking about with hey, Can we? Is there a case study around defund? Is there a case study around um, you know CRT? Is there a, yeah. whatever the situation may be? You're like, okay, so that's my question, and that is a very poignant. Pushback from the right because that's exactly no one has an answer for this that i've that I've talked to you obviously a very educated young man who cares about this stuff and that's that's where it gets dangerous for me as an older man because if I was running an ad agency again and someone came in and mandated that I had to fire you know 20 people on my creative team who happened to be more male and or I had to integrate gay and lesbian and blah 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 because if I didn't, then it I wasn't mandated or I, was, I, was in, yeah. I wasn't in compliance and I was going to get fined or shut down or whatever it may be. And as I said in my last call with my buddy around CRT, ad agencies don't hire diversity based on moral mandates. I wouldn't think that ad agencies are... None of my friends would claim that we're moral <laughs> when it comes to a lot of the decisions we make. I think we're good human beings, but we also are aware that we're selling stuff. That's our job, right? We're hired by a brand to sell their shit. That's what we do, and it benefits our company if we have a a gay, a lesbian, a black, an Asian, a white, and then viewpoint diversity as well. So you you, you want people on the right, you want conservatives, because and again, not you know crazy.
1: So if we're going to look at it from a very diverse, uh, the most diverse lens, yeah, we're going to include... You
0: want conservatives because historically they they conserve institutions and liberals historically like to blow stuff up and fix and and rethink it. And so if you have that as a businessman, I like to look at those people and say, okay, I want these people on the strategy side to be liberal thinkers because they want to blow stuff up. Best practices by definition are things that people have done forever and maybe they aren't the best. So let's, you guys figure that out on the liberal side. And then on the right side, you have conservative thinkers, people that are really into sanctity and order and things like that and their personality traits. And because of that, they actually come up and they get shit done. Right? So you're like those, I want all these people. I want viewpoint diversity. I want ethnicity. I want uh, geo, even, even geography, like all these things are really important. And for that purpose, it's, it's, in the self-interest of the ad agency to have viewpoint diversity because when you're working with a client, you have a diverse group that you're selling to. And if you don't have representation, it doesn't work. And that I love is a microcosm for why I think equity and diversity and inclusion work is so necessary. It really should not be a huge debate because it actually benefits any company to have all these different pieces and parts. The question that has yet to be answered is what do we do with the example I gave you on the social work? What do we do with the nursing as an example? Because most, you know, nurses are predominantly female.
1: I just think, I just think given that we already know that women dominate social work, then we put, then we have an affirmative action approach for
0: hiring more men. For hiring more men. And they're doing that, right? And and, and I have friends that are working on those campaigns. And then they get hammered because they did the campaigns (laughs) wrong. And they're, and so you're like, you're doing, you know, it's a it's a good point i think that we can agree that no one's looking at 50-50 you know it's not that's not the argument but i yeah. think that it's the it is the, the difference between opportunity of or opportunity versus outcome and then another ca- a conservative buddy of mine said to me he was like Joey, do you, are you guys leaving in your state to your kids and i said yeah and he goes okay then you don't believe in opportunity an equal opportunity either (laughs) and i said does it go back that far and he goes see see, see, this
1: is a hard (laughs) thing uh joey is when we get so philosophical with everything and to be really honest i'm an existentialist so like um and and i get so philosophical to a point where i'm just like everything is meaningless and like like there's no right answer or anything so that's why that's you know that's why it's hard to have all these discussions because like you know there's so many points of views and there's so many angles yeah. that we're all approaching this from and we may all be right and we may all be wrong depending on how we contextualize it but yeah i just yeah i think i think the the bottom line for all of this is just to p- provide the same freaking opportunity
0: yeah. for no, for I, people who who haven't had it historically i agree and i just threw out the you know inheriting thing as a joke cuz it 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 does go back pretty far and and it is you know I will admit my kids already have a head start. Like they went to yeah. private schools, they teach they teach two languages. They have loving parents. You know, it's like a, it's a very. And by
1: the way, thank you for teaching them different languages because <laughs> when we talk yeah. about diversity, when we talk about being inclusive, when we talk about embracing cultures, and we talk about be- being of everyone else, that's that's one example of it. Like I'm so yeah. mad that we don't teach
0: like, multiple languages in this. Oh, country. it's crazy. They do that in Europe. I mean, there's not, most of our friends in Europe speak at least two, sometimes yes. three, four languages. And, 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 and really, everywhere brain. in
1: the world, uh, everyone has to learn, for the most part, everyone has English. to learn English and then they know yeah. their own language. So, I um, mean, just
0: we know through like neuroplasticity studies that it actually benefits children to speak more than one language. Their yeah. brain fires differently. And like, we still don't get yes. that joke, you know, which is sad. All right. When, so, when you me.
1: actually educate people and when you actually teach them that, they're <laughs> teach them away from a myopic point of view. They're actually smarter and they're more empathetic. What? Like what? Wow.
0: Crazy. Well, that is the running. Like we said before, that's the fulcrum to every single problem. Yeah. If you look at, you know, the the inequality of our life, right? There's so many wonderful, I, I don't know if you've checked this out, but Intelligence Squared. It's a wonderful debate platform that I brag about on every one, every show. And they have, it's a British platform, but they have a moderator and then they have four whatever they're debating and against. Yeah. It's polite. And they're subject matter experts. So it's not some dick bag, you know, talking about like how the virus is. is it's, it's, how not,
1: the- it's not Charlie Kirk debating <laughs> right. about. Well, it's, it's not,
0: it's not our friends from high school who flunk science talking about vaccines right? That's the kind of thing that drives me crazy. It's, (laughs) it's, it's one of those things where I know I flunked out of chemistry, so I'm not going to really chime in on the efficacy. I flunked
1: out of chemistry too.
0: (laughs) So yeah, so I'm not involved in that debate, but when it comes to, you know, education being the, the, the centerpiece, it's all of it. Because if you, even climate change, they talk about if, if we could educate, 50% 50% more or 50% more of our population had a college degree. Yep. And this was only in the United States though. The climate change discussion wouldn't even be a discussion. It would be what yeah. do we do with it? Yep. Right? What do we do with it?
1: Well, Capitalism- and, I, and I'll add experience too. If you're not experiencing climate change, why the fuck would you think about it? So education... And
0: well, I would education- also... Add- he just froze on me. Okay, there you go. So do you have stay at home and help my kids? And then I authored my book and now I'm doing this podcast. So I have like all this free time and that is a place of privilege, right? There's not a lot of people that just leave their career for a couple of years to do what I'm doing. So that is a place of privilege. And that's another piece when it comes to education, how much time do you have to think about these things? Like my mom, what I oh thought. yeah, you and I are so privileged in terms right? of having the oh. opportunity to
1: even learn about things. Yeah, and and that doesn't a... mean other people don't. The people who don't get to go to college and all these things and stay at home don't learn. It's just like it's just they don't have. I just when you're worrying about how to feed your child next, and when you're worrying about, um, are, are you gonna be able to go to the doctors because you have health insurance? You just you don't have the opportunity to think about. Um, and
0: no. i Well, that's my mom as an example. And it's a microcosm. I think of what's wrong is that you don't, yeah. you don't blame someone for navigating the boat in the wrong direction when she's bailing it out, right? <laughs> it's just like my mom was just emptying water from our little boat the whole time. And so people are like, why did you navigate towards a capitalist structure that made more sense? And then you got educated, and then you got a better job. And then you blah, 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 blah. My mom you know, just didn't get that. Yeah. And I watched her work really hard in menial jobs. She cleaned houses for the last 10 years of her life. And it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, they don't have time. Th- this whole section of people doesn't have time. And and maybe UBI is a great inroads to our capitalist structure discussion. Hell, hell because, yeah. Right? I, I I know Andrew Yang kind of brought that to the fore, right? With his political yeah. campaign. And I just witnessed... Yeah, he's trying to start
1: a new political party.
0: I like him. I don't... <laughs> I, I, he, the sad part about him is that he, has, he didn't have enough charisma to get anywhere. But... And I don't mean that as a pejorative, he's a nice guy. He just yeah. doesn't have, you know, the the political he, he's a he's chutzpah. he's a he's a uh, yeah,
1: he's he's uh, he's very he's more young.
0: introverted than he is, you know, salesy. And I think it, sadly you kinda have to have that JFK, you know, charisma in our culture to be looked at. But yeah, UBI or, Obama, or you know Well yeah, I mean Obama just the charisma just poured out Clinton. of him. Well same with same <laughs> with Bill Clinton. I was at a yeah. I was at a fundraising dinner for Bill Clinton in ninety nine ninety nine I guess and and he walked into the ballroom and it was like boom I mean it was like his it was out of hand and he yeah. came up to our table just because you know we we're there giving him money but I'll never forget. Oh, I,
1: I, I'd be I'd be happy too if I, if I was getting some money from you <laughs>
0: <laughs> well yeah. Hey. I mean, It was just to be clear. It was the company I was working for at the time. I I didn't have enough money to (laughs) do that. That's what I meant. Yeah, but so the UBI (laughs) discussion because it's it's a to me the UBI discussion talks to what we just mentioned, which is yeah. Everyone says, oh, if we give people money, they're just going to sit on their ass and do nothing, and that goes against for me the fundamental belief that people work for money only. I mean, it's it it. Our structure right now, as far as the inequality, is stacked in that category where a lot of people like my mom, and it sounds like from where you grew up, they have to work to eat. Yes.
1: And they have to work. And Joey, that's most people.
0: I know. And that was the the stats the other... I think it was last year that came out that 40% of our population can't come up with $400 for an emergency, which means they are genuinely paycheck to paycheck. And if anything goes sideways, it's a problem. And so the UBI isn't about, which is funny too, by the way. So we, I, I was on the phone. My brother and I were talking to my mom about yeah. the child credits that went out. Yeah, and that they were, and her and her little friends. My mom's eighty one, and all her little octogenarian buddies in Rochester, Minnesota, are sitting around talking, and they thought that the that same thing. Well, I don't think those kids need that money, and I don't, I don't. I don't think every one of those parents needs that money. I said, Mom, Mom, we we me and my two brothers. Yeah. Time value of money. Would had you would have had seven hundred and fifty dollars extra every month? Yeah. Would that have helped you? Well, yes. But we were poor. I said, yeah, I know. But that's the point. Yeah. This one initiative lifted fifty percent of our children out of poverty. And I yeah. and my mom, because she lived with the right wing lunatic husband for years. She just divorced him because she just had enough. But she's poisoned. Like she even and like this is you being benefited now. You're pushing back because your friends. And my mom is financially comfortable because of this divorce. Yeah. But it 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 blew me away that she wasn't even supporting UBI. She wasn't supporting child tax credits for this. And the culture, the narrative in our culture is that if you give people money, they will sit on their ass, and it's the welfare queen bullshit that Reagan started. And it's the and the stuff that wait, talks
1: wait, which, about. Was, which was a dog whistle, by the way.
0: Well, it was a blowhorn.
1: Y- yes, <laughs> yes. I don't, yes, I don't yes. think it was a dog whistle. Thank, and, thank, you, and, thank you for that amendment. <laughs>
0: And, and the same thing Derek Bell was talking about is that yeah. there's so much poverty and that the fact that you can't live, if you got $500 a month, let's just say, yeah. that means you could ostensibly not freak out about feeding your kids. So just that level of stress reduction yeah. would help not only the individual, but it would help the culture. It would help your, your preemptive approach to your health care. It would help your stress levels. It would help your cortisone. It would help everything that's rushing through your body when you're constantly worried about everything going wrong and that anything that goes wrong has a deleterious effect to your family's health and well-being.
1: Whether it's UBI, uh, universal basic income, whether it's SSI, whatever it is, we need to figure out how to give income to the poorest Americans because the poorest Americans, they take around like like 20-something percent of all income and then the top 1% takes like just way more than that. So, yeah. like, we, we, we have to figure out how to help most Americans. And we know that surviving, not even being able to afford 500 bucks a month wow. uh, for emergency expenses, like, they can't even do that. So, there's obviously an income issue in this country. Um, and so, yeah, we, we have to, I think it's incredibly important to support income based programs. That are actually don't re- don't have really any restrictions at all. I, you don't have to work. You don't have to prove these things. Maybe some basic things like where do you live, um, and and can you check in with me each year to let me know how you're doing? Um, like those are some basic requirements. But what we got to think about is when we give money to poor people. And or poorer people, they're gonna spend it on local businesses. They're gonna spend it in their in their communities. They're not going to outsource that money as billionaires are. So if we're really gonna talk about welfare queens and kings, it's these fucking billionaires. It's these. People I don't think there's who, any
0: question there. But and this yeah. is another that We agree 100 percent on this because the 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 numbers are pretty pretty consistent. For every dollar you put in in federal funding, you get a dollar forty back. Yes. So historically... It's, it's Kinesian economics. It if is. If and, that's act, and that's the cool thing about math <laughs> is that it doesn't really matter what you think. Just, that's yeah. just math. And that is an agreed upon number for stimulus. We know yes. that. Where I would actually make sure, and this is language too, the billionaire class is very small, right? And they're billionaires in part... There's the you know there's the Koch brothers that inherited all their shit. That's yeah. possibly why they're such dickheads. But then there's guys like <laughs> you know Elon Musk as an example, who is a true intrepid genius entrepreneur, right? So like sure. for me, I, I, that's why I think with the framework And By the, the way, language, there's
1: many there's many other people that are way smarter than him. Uh, that don't make are. that. Many. Of course
0: there are. But I'm saying that he's a businessman, right? He understands where to be, when to be, and how to do it, and and he got really lucky. Well, on, on myriad fronts. There's, I don't yeah. think anybody will admit <laughs> without, without luck. There's luck is involved, in fact. But what I'm saying is that it's the it's the corporate laws, it's the it's the laws in our body politic okay. that m- allow money to be shoved out of the United States, not taxed, hidden within you know structures that don't allow you to know where the money is. So it's not. I don't think it's the billionaires' fault. And I've I've had this discussion with Brett. McIntyre, because yeah. I love him, but he goes after the billionaires all the time, and he says that billionaires, all billionaires are corrupt, all centi-millionaires are corrupt, and it's like no, and that's a narrative that gets really poisonous, specifically because yeah. I have some friends who made gobs and gobs and gobs of money, to the point where they can't spend it, and they're <laughs> wonderful people, yeah. and they get pushed back on this too, and so I think it's the it's and this goes back to our capitalism destruct because we we agree. On, on UBI or and I love that framing by the way because most people wouldn't even understand it. Yeah. <laughs> just like let's just chuck it into SSI or SSBI like done. Like perfect. Yeah. Cuz
1: it's, it's already it's already it's already there.
0: Also. Yes, and I love that. That's a great approach. Capitalism. How do you feel about what is I know you, I don't think you and I said this in my email to you. Yeah. A lot of your brethren, your Igen People of your ilk at an educational level are very upset with capitalism. There's lots of talk around communism. And even in some of the in intersectionality training methods, there's books with the sickle on it. It's like, it's yeah. it's gotten to a point where you see this in the zeitgeist. What is your belief on capitalism? Can it be regulated? Because that's, to me, that's the problem as a businessman. I just, it needs to be regulated. It's a fucking Ferrari with no brakes. It's a problem. What is your thought on capitalism and and or its replacement, and or its remedy.
1: So I want to say it's immoral to be a billionaire unless you're giving all that money away. Um, and same with multimillionaires. Uh, and the reason why is because most of us are dirt poor relative. So uh, and 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 we can explain that away with ignorance. You know, if if you're super wealthy and you never see people dying and starving and being hungry. I I get that, but I think it's immoral to be a billionaire given the context of most people. Um, So that's first thing.
0: Now, well, most of those guys are giving away ninety percent of their wealth. Even Zuckerberg and Warren Buffett and all those cats, Mike, you know, Bill Gates—they're giving away that much. So that—that is, that's again, that's what I was addressing with Brett. Like, come on, dude, don't use all and always and never (laughs) because those words are really powerful.
1: It's that, but it's also just like you know, like. It, it, see, see, that's hard for me because while they are giving away a lot of their wealth, they're still in yachts, they're still in these wealthy dinners, they're still—I mean, they are they they are in a different class, and I think it's immoral to be in that different class when people are dying from food malnutrition.
0: So, I, I, and I don't know where the excess is, but would—that would be the—I yeah. would say that if you buy a five hundred million dollar yacht, you know, and then. That's there's something there that seems to be off for me. But again, I live in the biggest glass house in the world, and I wrote a book about being, <laughs> about being a douchebag. So I I am a douchebag, yeah. and I own clothes that no one should own, and I've I've had yeah. cars that no one should own because. So there's the, where is that equilibrium? I have no idea because well, and me, it's hard.
1: It's hard because we're you know with a capitalist system, we have to work so hard for what we for what we get. And so, so, so there's a sense of ownership of our private property and what for we sure. want to do with their funds. So we always have to be sensitive to that. But it's just, yeah, it's just to me, um, seeing what my clients go through every day. Uh, they, again, they are all formerly homeless. Yeah, it's just, it's just hard for me to to accept the reality of being a billionaire. Um. And who knows? I could be envious. There's a lot of things that we can consider, but I just, to me, it's just, it's just there should be no excess when there's um, when there's not enough for people.
0: I I believe that in my heart, but I also like I would push back on my kids. So here's an example: I think the world's going sideways, right? I think it's in trouble. So the more money I can put in my kids' coffers, to say, you know what, guys, go out and do something good. You don't have to get a job that you don't like, right? Yeah. I've explained that to them already. Like you go out and do what you love. If you want to, you know, Kingston wants to be like, maybe make Legos. I mean, they're babies, right? These eight, nine years old. They don't know what they want to do. But what I continue to drum into their brains, do what you love. And I said, it doesn't matter what you do, but help people. Yeah. You guys are both really lucky. Now, that's all they really understand at this point. You're really lucky. And I want you to take that luck and go help other people. And they're like, okay, daddy. That's the idea behind it. So for me... As their dad, I want them to have enough money so they don't have to fucking freak out like I did my whole life. Yeah, about money, and so I don't know where that number is. You know, so yeah. is it is it is it is it twenty million? You know, I don't I don't have twenty million dollars, but I'm just saying is it, <laughs> is it one of those things where I don't know because if I had twenty million, I don't think I'd give it away. To be truthful, I'd be like, guys, here's ten million each. <laughs> Figure it out. I put it in a trust fund. Take care of your family and then go help the world. But. That's that's where that thing gets really weird for me. Is like you know, ball I, I, think
1: I think it's less about numbers. I think it's more about just making sure that people who are who are suffering and struggling have their needs met. So, so I we get that too. But out. I
0: drive to school every day past yeah. hundreds, if not thousands, of really fucked up situations, yeah. and I could possibly go out and help them right now. Yeah, like, yeah,
1: and and, and honestly, honestly, that's what we should really all be doing. But it's where. But I will say, the reason why I don't do that uh, is because I'm fucking selfish. And I think too. I <laughs> think the reason why we're selfish is yeah. because of our capitalistic system. It's embedded in us. It I'll give teaches you that. us to. It teaches us that we literally have to fucking scratch for what we have. Everything. and and like most that. of us are are actually most of the people who are successful. So when we talk about uh, uh, Bezos, when we talk about Musk, when we talk about Bill Gates, none of them started off in poverty. There's it's like it's it's like almost an anomaly to start off from poverty and become a billionaire or a millionaire. So generally, when you're impoverished, you're 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 likely going to stay impoverished for the rest of uh, uh, from generation to generation to generation. I'm pretty sure there's statistics on it. I can't cite. There is. Well, I can
0: because the the out of the quintile. You have a four percent chance of jumping from abject poverty to poverty. Yes. And from poverty to lower middle class is eight. And it continues to go up. So like if you start out where we did, like I'm one of the anomalies that actually got out. And I got out based on luck. Yes. And the fact and the fact that I have unbelievable characteristics in our society that work well. well and our, our salesmen.
1: Well, and our mothers <laughs> worked their fucking asses off.
0: Yeah, they did and showed us what it takes to get through life. But hmm. I yeah. But so on the capitalist piece, I yeah. agree with everything you just said. I, yeah. I think that, again, that it doesn't do progressives any good to use billionaires as a weapon or a wedge issue because it it, it throws everyone back on their feet. Because, again, whether these guys made it on their own or not, it's, it's the laws of our body politic that allow these guys to hide their money. And that is immoral, right? And they don't pay taxes. The fact that Amazon doesn't pay taxes is insane. GE didn't pay taxes. Or, or
1: Donald Trump paid... I paid more taxes this month than Donald Trump paid. Correct. When he paid like seven hundred and ninety-four dollars. That one. That one. Correct.
0: Year. And that is the problem. That's not. That isn't capitalism. That's corruption.
1: Well, well <laughs> This is what I'll say. These bill. The reason why I think we focus on billionaires is because obviously we're all capitalists. If we're if we're engaging in this, uh, the only way to not be a capitalist is if we're not actually engaging in the economic in the economy, and like that's impossible because we can't survive if we don't. So that's how that's right. how embedded capitalism is you have to you have yep. to engage with it I but agree. but the reason why I think we all focus on billionaires and millionaires it's because they're the peak capitalists they're the ones that they want capitalism to run as effectively and as well as it can because they make money they make the most money off of that system and so mm-hmm. more of my criticism so so obviously they're not the we all, all of us have to change because we're enabling these these peak capitalists so we all have to change we you know that's why so 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 that's one thing and 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 I can lead into socialism and communism from there but i will say in terms of capitalism capitalism is not a sustainable system where where we have finite resources and we need to, and capitalism is based on growth and so if we're if we're based on that's growth with finite resources, we're gonna run out of resources, and then you know, in California, we may like like we have a huge water issue, and in the future, we'll probably have water wars if we continue to have this system because the the lead capitalists will own all the fucking water, and then they'll they'll that, that's that's more of a hypothetical. But what I'm saying is that the the system of capitalism is unsustainable. So that is my biggest critique of it. And it's literally destroying our climate um, yeah. because it's, it's trying to extract as many resources. And not only that, it's about growth. So if you and I keep buying more and more and more and more, and then the, the garbage in our oceans continue to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and it continues to improve all of our ocean water, that's going to completely destroy our entire ecosystem. And we're all going to die. Um, the more our, our, our atmosphere and our climate is being destroyed through pollution, we're not going to have the means to survive because our entire ecosystem is going to be
0: destroyed. So, I got the, so, Have you heard of Eric Weinstein?
1: Uh, I have not. Is he a deep ecologist?
0: No, he's actually a mathematician. And so the okay. reason I brought that up is that he's someone that I've been following lately. He's Brett Weinstein's brother. Brett Weinstein was the professor that was outed at, at Evergreen. They're both academics and they're both really, really smart. And they're both liberal. So I bring that up for a reason. He says the same thing. In a microcosm, he thinks that capitalism, socialism have to kind of get married. Mixed economy. Yeah. And this is a mathematician, right? So an undergrad at UPenn, MIT mathematician, just off the chart smart. He's the managing director for Peter Thiel Capital. And he talked about this and he said the same thing you did capitalism itself is is in a problematic state because it can't continue to grow because that's what capitalism is everything's measured at gdp and the problem there is that we can't continue to grow and he uses education as an example and he says education 40 years ago was where professors printed phd's and the system itself is based on that because it's free labor yeah right So if you are a professor, which let's say you get your PhD, and I'm sure you will, you would then would say, I want to have TAs, postdocs, helping me with my stuff, my class, all of that. If you print 20 PhDs from your whatever you major in, 18 of those are not getting jobs. Yeah. So what he's saying is that the educational system, as an example, as a microcosm, is broken because it can't continue to grow. He also uses law firms as an example of that, because law firms, as you probably are aware, when I was coming up in the business world, law firms were the shit. Like In the 80s, Skadden Arps, Meager & Flom, big firm in New York yeah. City, I sold software to these companies. These guys were making $2 million a year as partners. And this was in the 80s. That's like real money, right? Yeah. It, it, and if you've, if you've witnessed the decimation of the industry of law. That's because that has happened and it's happening now. There's too many fucking lawyers. Wait, well, not only, but you can't make them, there's not enough work for them. So if you have a partner and you bring in all these associates that aspire to be a partner, they can't all make partner. (laughs) And because they can't all make partner, it's a pyramid scheme now. And he's saying the same thing about the education. PhDs are a pyramid scheme. So I agree with you on that front.
1: So yeah, so it's just, people get scared of the word socialism and communism and, and all these things you
0: understand why right i mean because yeah i know
1: i understand why and what but in my mind there's never been a communist nation in the world and the reason why i say that is theoretically in order for communism to exist it has to be a collective action uh of everyone agreeing to that system that is what a truly communistic system is the
0: purest form of democracy in which everyone agrees basically but, but economically. Right. Let me ask you this. When you talk about social democracy, um, is AOC on that camp or is she still a capitalist in the sense um, that you talked about? Because well, she seems she to be the I most pretty- progressive. She seems to be one of the most progressive candidates we have out there, right? Yeah. And when she's fighting that battle, she's doing so within the confines of a capitalistic structure, Correct.
1: Well, yeah, because it's the dominant structure, right? I, and so when, I don't think she's ever identified as a social democrat, though.
0: No, she democrat. She's a democratic socialist, much like Bernie. So that yeah. that's again why I was. It's cool. Thank you for differentiating those two because that's a that's that's important. And then specific to your experience and what you're doing in Sacramento, do you see is your generation and people that you are working with is is this a consensus? That people think this is where we need to go, or, or
1: no, no. I mean, I can't speak for everyone because I, you know, it's just impossible to do. But I will say that, like, you know, I think I'm just as unique as everyone. But yeah, I don't, I I don't think people. um, I haven't found my niche yet in terms of people who think like I do, uh, specifically because you know we're again we're all liberals, uh, and well, at least my political group is. Yeah, And so we're, we're, we're so diverse in our thinking, but, but I do, I do think there's a consensus in that capitalism is not sustainable.
0: I will agree with that. And I think that part of what you're getting into and the reason I brought the communism piece up is that I had this discussion with Brett as well. And I know he's going to, he watches this and be like, dude, you can't talk about me, <laughs> but I love him. And he just, we just, just, we just disagreed. hey, Brett, Hi Brett. Is that, when I bring up communism to him, you said the same thing is that we've yet to ever have a true, theoretically driven communist experience.
1: Yeah. Because, I, because as Marx explains it, communism is, is when socialism uh, is fulfilled.
0: Correct. And that's what, that's what Richard Wolf talks about too. Right. So I get that because I've done some homework on it, but the, the one that is an argument, which I get, but where it comes from is that you look at, you know, Mao, you look at Pol Pot, you look at Stalin. Look at, they're all dictators, and that's what happens in this communist structure historically. It doesn't mean that it, it could be, but that's the utopian argument on the right, is that you can't replace anything with the utopian vision because it just doesn't fucking work, right? And and communism has never worked. And if anybody like Alexander Solis distance talks about that in his book, Right, the, archip- the Gulag Archipelago, which to me was the most riveting and gross example of communism ever, and that was—they're all bad. <laughs> There's not one example of communism that works, and so to me, this kind of goes to the baby steps of trying to get change is that yeah. we can't—we can't in good faith use communism. As an example, and then use arguments that it has never been done right because that's another one from the right. If I did it, I'm a benevolent leader. I would make sure it worked, and/or if I did it with a group of people that I trusted, then we would be able to make it work because it yeah. just hasn't. And that's the human condition. I don't, I don't trust human beings with that much power.
1: <laughs> I well, and Joey, I think it goes back to you know how we uh, created three defi—well, how I offer three definitions for CRT. Yeah. I think it's the same thing with communism. There's an academic Marxist or Correct. mark call mark's point of view of what communism actually is and conservatives aren't having that conversation they're having the conversation of the cultural narrative of what it is i um, agree
0: but that's also right. why i think the word is poison and it's yeah poisonous because historically it's fucking poisonous. but,
1: but hey when conservative <laughs> when conservatives know how to poison words like true, racism. True, true,
0: <laughs> true. yeah yeah exactly
1: so okay. it's like, it's like, it's like knowing how to buy that and like say, okay, yes, like we need to figure out a way to communicate with you because you are, work community
0: at the end of the day. It's been fantastic. Dude, we've been on the two hours and 24 minutes. So let me just say this. I look forward to watching you get your PhD, which I'm sure you'll probably do. I look forward to watching what you do with the young Democrats of America and the social Democrats and the progressive Democrats and the Hispanic Latinx caucus and... You're a young Democrats of America. Kudos to you for all that you're doing. You're doing great work. I think you're a fine young man with a big brain, and we need people like you out there. And thank you again for your time and energy today, because we didn't know each other from Adam. And you left your job today with your jobs, with your boss's permission to come and talk to some dude on a podcast about solving all the world's problems in two hours and 26 minutes. So I really appreciate your time today, dude.
1: And we didn't get to talk about uh, Texas abortion law. So Dave, oh, next time. <laughs> I, you know,
0: there's not a lot of controversy on that. It's fucking draconian and awful. And, we,
1: <laughs> and yes. Okay, I'm happy we can agree on that, which yes. I obviously knew we did.
0: Yeah, no, yes. So thanks again, dude. Thanks, Joey. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you dig what we're doing over here, please subscribe. And while you're at it, please download an episode or two and leave a review. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Until next time, big hugs.